Welcome to the Daily Theology Podcast, episode number 29. I am your host, Stephen Oki. This is the final episode of season two, and it features my wonderful conversation with Rabbi Abraham Skorka. You may be familiar with Rabbi Skorka from his work at Interreligious Dialogue or from his friendship with Pope Francis, and you'll hear him speak about both in this episode. We also talk about how his father shaped his desire to be a rabbi and his views of the dialogue between science and religion, which is particularly shaped by his own background. He has a PhD in chemistry, and he's worked in biophysics. This episode is a little bit shorter than some of our other episodes, but I would like to express my great gratitude to Dr. Matthew Tapey and the Center for Catholic Jewish Studies at St. Louis University, who made this conversation possible. As always, you can leave feedback for us on the blog or on iTunes, and we greatly appreciate the reviews that are left for us. And we look forward to seeing you again in 2017 with Season 3. Well, hello. I'm Stephen Oki, an assistant professor of philosophy, theology, and religion at St. Leo University. And I'm honored today to be speaking with Rabbi Abraham Skorka, the rector of the Latin American Rabbinical Seminary in Buenos Aires, Argentina. Rabbi Skorka, thank you for being here. Thank you so much for inviting me to be here. <laughs> A pleasure to be with you. The first question I like to start people with is kind of a biographical question. How did you come to be a rabbi? How did you feel called to the rabbinate? What was the story of your your trajectory, your experience? It uh, seems to be a very simple question to answer, but it is not. <laughs> uh, because I have to speak about my feelings, my sentiments, and about the things that really uh, there are uh, many... I have difficulties to uh, know exactly how to evaluate what conduct me mm -hmm. to be a rabbi. I was impressed when I was a child, a youngster, of the figure of two rabbis that I met in the synagogues where I uh, used to go to pray. And uh, when I was uh, really a little a little child, he was not a rabbi, but a spiritual leader mm -hmm. of uh, uh, that uh, congregation. Is uh, He suddenly approached to me and told me, for no reason, <laughs> in Yiddish, remember, always believe in the God of Israel. Hmm. This, mes this message and no more. And afterwards I had some, some, sp some spiritual messages from the other rabbi. We really didn't, didn't talk, uh, didn't have many opportunities to, to talk and to chat. And the, No, no. But in certain very special circumstances, uh, he asked my father, where is your son? 
because I sat in another place with in the synagogue with a Hebrew teacher that uh, liked to speak with me in Hebrew. Mm. You know, we used to to maintain chats from uh, 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 in between the prayers. <laughs> Is uh, but chats of Torah. Mm-hmm. What did you study? Uh, sure. What says Rashi, the famous exegeta, uh, and this and that. But this was in a very special moment before the beginning of the day of atonement. Okay. And uh, where are where is your son? A, a person who was a survivor from the Shoah, from Poland, important rabbi, and the the fact that he asked my father where is he is that he saw something in me. Mm. And this, after many, many years, when I began thinking about your question, this story came again in mm. my, in my, to my memory. Also the influence of my father, because my father had a very special uh, character. He, uh, he loved a lot uh, spirituality, uh, in intellectuality mm-hmm. he, he was uh, really he devoted his life to commerce because he hadn't opportunities to uh, to study uh, higher in higher education institutions uh, he came from Poland and uh, he had many opportunities to acquire a higher education but he pondered a lot mm-hmm intellect spirituality justice and he had a great influence on me and now you can understand why at the same time i studied prophets hebrew talmud and from the other side sciences mm-hmm. because he, he told me oh science is something uh, marvelous it's the fruit of it's one of the highest uh, fruits of human intellect so i try to taste this fruit <laughs> and so i uh, i reached a phd in biophysics and from the other side i got a, how we call that in hebrew smicha de rabanut the graduation in order uh, to be a, to act as a rabbi. Mm-hmm. Do you think that for either for your father or for you, the interest in science and the you said marvel something that we marvel at was that for your father or has that been for you a, a spiritual desire, a spiritual it pursuit? Is. Okay, it is. It is. I read sometime in some place and I agreed <laughs> that with this what what I'm going to tell you now if you would like to make philosophy nowadays uh, analyzing what is the meaning of time for mm-hmm. instance it's a philosophical issue you can find in the writings of the great philosophers in the past about time what what means time is uh, you have not another choice nowadays. You must study in a high level relativity, Mm -hmm. the theory of relativity from Einstein. Uh, Why? Because uh, time and the relationship between time and space, which is the other issue, 
are related in a special way, you must taste at certain level the the equations. You must be able to, to work a little bit. I, I don't say that you must be an expert, but to understand what means a Riemann space, mm -hmm. what means a geodesic, what means that... Uh, the path of the light is uh, the, the the geodesic of the path of the light in the Riemann space must be equal to zero, mm -hmm. and all those items are very important to make philosophy. The other great theory is uh, quantum mechanics. Sure. Is I try to 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 approach as far as I could to the highest level and in my possibilities, to understand uh, these theories now. Uh, why my uh, PhD is in biophysics, this is another story, circumstances, <laughs> you know, circumstances on, uh, in life. But uh, I acquired the tools to study by myself these theories. Mm -hmm. And, of course, that there are certain messages. You learn a lot from from sciences. There are certain special messages uh, in which you feel, uh, okay, until uh, up to this point, I, I have the possibility to understand more or less what is going on. Mm -hmm. And from this point onwards, okay, it's, it's something which is uh, beyond the common sense that, to, that we have. For instance, let us give a very simple a very simple uh, example from uh, from mathematics we know through the studies of cantor in the infinite groups mm -hmm. that it's very simple to demonstrate that in infinite groups the uh, the part of the group can have as many elements as the whole group mm -hmm. This is beyond the common sense. Mm -hmm. the, uh, the simple explanation is, okay, we are speaking in infinite groups. So what? So what? When we touch the infinite, we can learn a lot from sciences. There are messages, uh, special messages in pure sciences. You can reach at up to a certain point. Uh, you can go ahead, beyond mm -hmm. this point. But the things are beyond common sense and the things are so complicated that really uh, you can see a part of uh, of uh, the truth let us put this word on quotation size <laughs> truth a part just a part mm -hmm. but the whole truth is inaccessible to to us and and this uh, this is a great teaching yeah. from sciences. I, I, um, I take a special care not to, not to project things from, from science directly on, let's say, theology. Sure. I take care. But what I said is from my existential point, how I feel that. Mm -hmm. This doesn't uh, mean that uh, science will not go to, will not go ahead will go ahead and mm -hmm. sure that we will discover more and more and more but 
certain part will continue be be not understandable for us or will continue be a mystery mm-hmm. for uh, for us you know in hebrew the word olam which appears in the bible as eternity but uh, afterwards olam is world and maybe existence uh, also a, a way to translate olam has the same root as the verb uh, to disappear not to be present mm. elam is something that uh, you cannot see which is not present mm-hmm. the last truth of our existence is not in in our possibilities to discover mm-hmm. and you can feel that and you can understand that if you uh, really go deep and deep in sciences mm-hmm. I remember when I was in divinity school, we had a lunch and we would have speakers at these lunches. And they were usually, you know, theologians, religious studies, scholars, things like that. But one day we had a mathematician come and he talked about the idea of infinity in terms of there's the countably infinite, you know, like the whole numbers that you can count. And then there's the uncountable infinite, you know, all the irrational numbers and whatnot. And for a lot of people in the room, just the idea that there were even two different ways of thinking about infinity, and they're both infinite, but one is one one sounds more manageable or sounds more accessible than the other, was very striking for a lot of them in the same kind of terms that you're talking. I I think maybe my my follow up on this question would be, you talk about the way sort of the, your your existential understanding and appreciation for science. For a lot of people, they sometimes see science and religion and science and theology as in contest with one another. And for some, you know, this is rooted in the question of creation and where did the world come from. For some, it's the issue of evolution and where did humans come from. But even you mentioned quantum mechanics. Even even in quantum mechanics, we have, you know, the sense of the the uncertainty and the randomness of reality and not just at the level of our own understanding, but at the level of the very structure of reality. And for some, even this is very challenging in their faith because it puts reality, it it seems at least even outside the control of God or something like that. I'm wondering for you, do you see a struggle between science and religion or does there need to be, or can that relationship really be one of of mutual regard, mutual respect? There is not a clash between science and religion in any way. The point is this. The researchman, the person who handles with science and who discovers uh, things in science must know exactly its limits. Mm -hmm. The theory, for instance, the theory of evolution, It's a theory, and each theory in science waits really in the future to be Mm -hmm. replaced for a better theory, Mm -hmm. for a a most uh, complete, a more complete theory. And it's an evolution in science. You have not eternal truth in science. You have facts that uh, for sure 
are not going to be changed in in science. We know we can uh, we can give a lot of examples. Yeah, gravity about. or exactly, sure, yeah. exactly. But maybe that in a, in a future one uh, will come a person with the capability to demonstrate that the gravity. Einstein explained that gravity is a consequence of the space-time, of the characteristics of the space-time. Could be a, a special geometry, mm-hmm. a, a consequence of the geometry of this space. Is it, maybe that in the future someone will come and will explain that the, through another model. It must be a dialogue between science and religion. And the religious person must respect the theories of science with a critical approach. Mm-hmm. But, okay, there is a theory of evolution, but no one says that this this is going to be the last truth. Mm-hmm. Because they they have a lot of questions regarding the theory of evolution. And the, as a last question... Is it so simple to explain how the, a bacteria, for instance, could be formed from the combination of atoms? It's so simple. Mm-hmm. I know that uh, many years ago, uh, researchmen worked with, they uh, prepared a special box with a rare atmosphere, high in nitrogen, uh, oxygen, Mm -hmm. and they passed, they put this between uh, two electrical uh, poles, Mm -hmm. and they passed uh, a shock, an electrical shock, and they discovered the formation of some amino acids. Mm -hmm. The late professor of Weizmann Institute, Aron Kachalski, was in the uh, worked about this point in order to discover how was the formation of the first amino acids. So, from the fir- from amino acid to a bacteria, there is a- an infinite path. Mm-hmm. So, the, when you speak about clashes between religion and science, really what you are speaking is about a lack of respect from one regards the other. Mm-hmm. He, the, the scientist can say, I understand this as an, an evolution. Meanwhile, and the other can say, person who makes theology must say, okay, it's very interesting what uh, you are talking. The, the religious person cannot consider Genesis 1 and 2 as a book of physics and biology. <laughs> in no way. In no way. This is another language. It's yeah. a language of God, and this is the language of a human intellect which uh, tries to approach God. And now I would like to add something about the infinite uh, groups <laughs> that you mentioned sure. when you spoke about uh, remembering the words of the mathematician. You know that the person who is the father of the the theory of groups and the, especially the work of of infinite and the, uh, uh, the different classes of infinites was Georg Cantor. Mm-hmm. Take a look on this detail. 
when Cantor began to to work with this, uh, and he began to the to, to, to discover this uh, theory of the infinite groups and the cardinal numbers, he called the different infinite groups, which are numerable or non-numerable, Aleph. The mm. Hebrew letter Aleph. Why Aleph? Because Aleph is from Ein, Ein Sof. Ein Sof means infinite in Hebrew, but is also the characteristic of God. Mm. And Ein Sof, e, e, Aleph sub zero was the first numerable group, and afterwards he reached the Aleph sub one, the Aleph sub two. When he began researching the Aleph sub three, he had to be conducted to a, a special hospital for neurological diseases <laughs> in Halle in Germany and then he finished his days <laughs> this is the this was this this was this, uh, the the story of Georg Cantor he gazed he too was closely on the infinite to touch the infinite <laughs> as our sages in the Talmud say it's it's a very special question that mm-hmm. you have to pay a special attention. Mm-hmm. Our sages in the Talmud says, Rabbi Akiva said, please take uh, with your mystical experiences. And the Agadah, the, the story tells us in the Talmud that one sage became crazy, the other one died, the third one uh, cut with his uh, Jewish roots, mm. and only Rabbi Akiva entered to the Pardes, it's the same word from Paradiso, Paradise, mm. and went out Beshalom, in peace from this experience. Huh. Science has to do in certain way, in certain sense, w- what was the wish of Einstein to to see a little bit the plan that God prepared uh, as an architect in order to build up the whole existence mm-hmm. it seems like you might also you might even say that for both science and for religion or for theology there's a real virtue in in uncertainty and for, uh, I think, maybe some of the, the conflict people sense, you said it's a lack of respect. And I, I think for a lot also, I think for a lot also, some people, they have this sense that science is very certain about a lot of things. But the whole scientific method is about continual revision of what we know. And similarly, in religion, I mean, there's a lot of certainty. There's a lot of, you know, strong beliefs. But there's also, because God is infinite, because God is transcendent, that we can never fully grasp God. And because of that, certainty can sometimes become idolatrous or become an obstacle to true faith. One of the greatest Hasidic masters had as as an issue, you know, the, the great Hasidic masters, each one of them 
had a special issue, special concept that they work about it. Modesty, for instance, and other issues. But one that I l- love a lot is Rabbi Menachem Mendel from Kotsk. And the issue of his life is, was and is, emet, the truth. Mm-hmm. And he knew exactly the truth is not a, the truth of our existence. The certainty, as you said, mm-hmm. is not accessible for us. Yeah. It's not accessible for us. In America, in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, lived a great, a great rabbi. His name was Rabbi Avram Yoshua Heschel. Mm-hmm. He wrote, he, uh, his last books were about the Rebbe from Kotsk, the Kotsker, as we used to call him. One book he wrote in English, A Passion for Integrity. The other one was uh, published post-mortem, posthumous, uh, and the, the name, and it's in Yiddish, and the, the name of the book is Kotsk, in Yiddish is Eingerangel for Emesdekeit, a fight, a struggle, for this, the, traduc- the tra- translation is for integrity, but really is in order to know the truth. Hmm. And he knew the truth, as appears in the Talmud, is the word which is gr- engraved in the ring of God, because the hmm. queens used to have a, a ring with mm-hmm. a word. Yeah, In the same way, the, the sages of the Talmud said, and what is in the quotation size? Uh, let us put aside, aside the anthropomorphism of, of, the, of this uh, the tale. Is uh, what appears in the ring of God, mm-hmm. the word emet, truth. Hmm. So we've been talking about the dialogue between religion and science. I wanted to shift to talk about uh, interreligious dialogue. I know that's the main thing you're here to speak with us about at St. Leo University. I'm curious, at first, just to start with, what has been your experience, especially of Jewish-Catholic dialogue in Argentina? In Argentina, we had a very fruitful, very important story of people who saw in the dialogue, in the interfaith dialogue, a very important theme. I uh, had God's blessing to have as a partner in this dialogue the then Cardinal Bergoglio, who understood in my way what really a dialogue, a interfaith dialogue, or Jewish-Catholic dialogue means. Mm-hmm. It's not just uh, to sit around the table with a cup of coffee and, uh, <laughs> and to analyze <laughs> and, to, and to take pictures and to say, oh, uh, uh, we are dialoguing. <laughs> but uh, there was some did, of that also. This this is important, but m- much more is the fact that he and I understand that dialogue means relevant and important actions which reflect 
it's spiritual courage. Mm -hmm. And I will give you two examples that uh, very, very often I give these examples. I, I, I'm going to speak about him, not about me. During two years, two journalists prepared a, a biography about uh, Bergoglio. And at certain opportunities, they come together with him and they ask his help and they told him, we, we are working on your life and he helped them and he guided them. Guided them. So this uh, biography, at certain point, we can understand that is an authorized biography. It's not merely a biography, an authorized biography. Sure. When they finished to prepare uh, the book, they uh, asked them, okay, we finished with the work. Who would uh, you like to be the one to write the preface of uh, the book? And he said, Rabbi Skorka. Mm. When one of the journalists called me by phone and told me, told me the story that during two years we worked, it wasn't so simple to be accepted by him, but he did that, okay? And he he said that you are the person to write, that he wished to write this the forward for this book. Really, I remained astonished. <laughs> the Archbishop of one of the most important Catholic cities in the world, a very recognized uh, personality in Argentina and in the world, because then uh, this is a story of 2000, uh, uh, 2009, December, more sure. uh, or March, or March 2010. Is, uh, he already was very known, and he was a very important, and he said, uh, uh, I would like that a rabbi, mm -hmm. imagine yourself, a Jew, a rabbi mm -hmm. to be the one to write the preface for the book of his life. Mm -hmm. It's very strong. Yeah. This means to have spiritual courage, and this means interfaith dialogue or Jewish-Catholic dialogue. The second anecdote is this. The Pontifical Catholic University of Buenos Aires he prepared a special event in order to remember the the 50 years of the beginning of the sessions of the uh, second uh, Vatican Council and important uh, people were invited for this act and it was a central act for the Argentinian church and in this act, he bestowed me, he uh, was the chancellor then, afterwards I, I uh, knew about, he was the, the great chancellor of the university. <laughs> because when a month before this act, the rector of the university, Fernandez, asked me, we, we, our idea is to bestow it on you, this uh, title, a PhD degree, for an uh, honorarium degree for uh, your uh, doings for the culture in our city and so on. 
we are asking if you accept this degree. I said, of course, that I, I uh, agreed. And uh, afterwards, I spoke with uh, Bergoglio in a, <laughs> in a, in a conversation, uh, speaking about other themes. And I told him, ah, thank you so much for the for the degree in the, in the Catholic <laughs> University. And he said, no, I, you deserve that. I have not, I know nothing about that. And, and afterwards, I knew that he that he is the that he is the chancellor, the great chancellor. Is this is another. Uh, this is another manifestation of what means really deeply dialogue, Jewish Catholic dialogue. It's not only to sit and to speak and to understand the other, which is very important. Sure. Which is very, very important. To know who the, uh, the other is, is is very, very important because, uh, you know, in the Bible, to know means also to love. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a synonym of to love. But uh, his commitment with the idea to honor and to take care of the Jews as the older brothers, he demonstrated this in many ways. And what I am giving you is just two examples. And sure. afterwards, as Pope, he de- he we continue being in touch, of course, mm-hmm. he demonstrates to me uh, in many opportunities, in many serious opportunities, giving in my hands el- very important elements regarding his consideration as Pope, regarding anti-Semitism, for instance, regarding his positions about Israel, the mm-hmm. state of Israel, for instance. It seems... Maybe a way to kind of tie that together is a lot of times when we talk about interreligious dialogue, you know, there's a focus on programs that we can do jointly or praying together jointly or... Which is or, important. Which are important, right? And very are part important. Of it. Very, very important. But it, it seems that one of the things you want to push further to and that your relationship with Pope Francis models is, a, is really interreligious friendship. Yes, and be being on the side of one another, and looking out for one another, and being genuinely committed to justice for the other, beyond simple, you know, equal understanding and equal exchange. So it's beyond than, than a friendship, you know. And this uh, came out from our hearts uh, when he writes to me and uh, emails, and when I write to him emails, our approach one to the other, the email. begins with the words my beloved brother from me to him and from him to me that's really wonderful my beloved brother so one question that that leads me to i think this will be my last uh, more serious question will be what what is it that you that you hope for in i mean it's been a little over 50 years since vatican ii and since nostra aetate what is it that you hope for in the next 50 years of of Catholic-Jewish dialogue? Are there things in particular that you desire or a, a, a direction you hope we continue on? Or I feel that what we reach in the past regarding dialogue was the achievement of the work of individuals. What my hope is mm. that in the future will be more and more people involved really, truly, deeply 
with the idea of dialogue and they will form a strong movement, not only for the Jewish Catholic dialogue, but for a bright interfaith dialogue mm -hmm. with the Islam and with all the other religions in order to change a little bit this harsh and bitter world, reality we are living in. Mm -hmm. This is my hope. We can speak a lot about the importance of dialogue. Dialogue is the tool against violence. The, we must install dialogue in our societies, in our houses. People are not using or they don't know how to use this important tool to know the other. To dialogue means an effort. To dialogue means to try to understand the other. And so on and so on and so on. My hope is that uh, our efforts will conduct to the installation of the concept of dialogue in humanity. To stress the idea of dialogue, the importance of dialogue, of a real dialogue, mm -hmm. not uh, merely a superficial mm -hmm. uh, uh, chat between one and the other, yeah. a real dialogue. When uh, we, with the, uh, the then uh, Archbishop of Buenos Aires, Cardinal uh, Bergoglio, when we recorded uh, 31 programs for the television in Argentina, and uh, I was asked, uh, what is the importance of this uh, program? I said, the importance of this program is to install not just the interface dialogue, because we spoke about the family, about uh, all, all the problems, drugs, all the problems, mm -hmm. all, all the, the, the burning problems in Argentinian society, is my answer was the first aim is to install the importance of dialogue through our dialogue in Argentinian society. Yeah. In which this is a great luck in Argentinian society at large. There is no a culture of dialogue yet. Yeah. yet. And I can see how his Jesuit spirituality would feed into that, the, the idea of the heart speaking to heart as a kind of image or model for that. So thank you. Uh, I like to close out conversations with some less serious questions, a little more get to know you. Yeah. So my first one is, are you more of a coffee drinker or a tea drinker? Coffee drinker. Coffee drinker. Every yeah. morning? Every morning. Okay. From time to time, I, I drink also a tea, but with milk, coffee. A milk with tea, impossible for me. <laughs> That's fair. What would you say is a favorite or perhaps a least favorite liturgical song or religious song? In you, our Jewish liturgy? Absolutely, yeah. One of the most relevant is Kol Nidrei. Kol Nidrei is uh, the first uh, prayer, the first declaration of with which we begin our uh, holiest day in, in the year, the Atonement Day, Yom Kippurim. Mm -hmm. Okay. Wonderful. If I were to come visit you in Buenos Aires, uh, what would be one meal, one restaurant, one one food that you would 
absolutely push me. To I will. Meat. I will tell you in Spanish, undoubtedly, asado barbecue. Okay, that sounds delicious. <laughs> good. Yeah, yeah. We have good meat in All Argentina. Right. We are famous for that. <laughs> good meat, and if we have very good pizza, also. Mm-hmm. Oh, very, really? Re- yeah, yeah, very good pizza. Okay. Pizza on a good level. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. When I come visit, we're gonna yeah. get, we're gonna go get pizza. Pizza, pizza, and uh, I will take you to a kosher uh, to a kosher barbecue. Okay, sounds wonderful. I know that Pope Francis's football team is San Lorenzo. What is your local football team? River Plate. Okay. So we had several clashes. <laughs> this is this is the only one team that we had several clashes. <laughs> I mean, no, it's no, very, no dialogue is perfect. So no dialogue, but this, this is a lack of no dialogue. <laughs> and then, last question: If you had the opportunity to have dinner with any person, living or dead, who would you choose and why? My father. In order to tell him how, how what he began to see uh, in my rabbinate continued and. Uh, Oh, I, I I had sent a very strong, uh, very strong things I had in Poland, his uh, native uh, country, and uh, this would impress him. And of course, uh, that my good friend became Pope, <laughs> and that we continue being together. It was uh, unbelievable for him. Yeah, that's a really wonderful answer. Thank you. Well, on behalf of St. Louis University, the Center for Catholic Jewish Studies, and Daily Theology, I'd like to extend my thanks for sitting with me for this conversation. My pleasure. The Daily Theology Podcast is produced bi-weekly by dailytheology.org. Daily Theology is a Catholic blog that pursues faith-seeking understanding in everyday life. You can find us online at dailytheology.org, on Facebook at Daily Theology, or on Twitter at Daily Theo. 